The Daily Tap is live for Tuesday. It is May 16th. We're going to talk about if the Bucs will regret not hiring Darvin Ham. We will also talk about the Milwaukee Brewers' big loss against the St. Louis Cardinals, 18-1. to Jesus. Uh, three things we learned from that game. Uh, three things is something we used to do. We're bringing it back. I wish it wasn't with an 18-1 to baseball game. We will also talk about the or the NFL putting a playoff game on Peacock and why I think the Packers could be a candidate if they were to make the playoffs. We'll get into that uh, and I'm sure much more. Uh, before we get going, just a reminder, follow us on social media. Teddy Keg on Twitter, Teddy Keg Sports on Instagram, as well as TikTok. We had uh, some Instagrams and TikToks go up yesterday, so make sure you like those. Make sure to share them with your friends. Speaking of sharing with your friends, make sure to share the podcast with your friends. If you're already subscribed, if you are new to the program, if, say, you're coming in from a group chat, uh, we're on Apple, we're on Spotify, we're wherever else you get your podcast. We are there. And if somehow we're not, reach out on those socials that I just mentioned. Let me know. We can get it. We can get it going. Um, the more places we are, the better. Uh, and we appreciate all of the love and support. Let's talk about Darvin Ham and the Bucks and heading into the Western Conference Finals tonight. Darvin Ham will be coaching uh, in the Final Four of the NBA uh, with a legit shot at going to the NBA Finals. Uh, Darvin Ham has a pretty good Lakers team. Even though the Lakers are a seven seed, as I mentioned earlier in this NBA playoffs, it's kind of like hockey at this point. I think more and more you're going to see seven seeds, six seeds, maybe even eight seeds, which you suit the Heat are in the conference finals. I think this is going to become more commonplace than it's going to become this is just an anomaly. I think this is more the standard than we will see in the NBA. And Darvin Ham has that chance. And if you were to tell me that the Lakers would be in this spot when Ham was hired in October, I don't think I'd call you crazy, but I I would feel like there was a lot of work to do. I felt like this Lakers team was a little bit dysfunctional. LeBron seemed like he was kind of just happy to be here and he was with his sons and seeing what Bronny would do in, you know, in terms of college and his son Bryce as well. Like I, I really didn't know if LeBron had this in him. But Ham's done a great job in year one handling LeBron James in terms of managing Anthony Davis. Remember, Anthony Davis is playing basketball and has stayed relatively healthy. Yes, he got hit in the head. But Anthony Davis is playing hoops. He's not necessarily having these major injuries. So whatever Ham is doing, him and his coaching staff of managing minutes, managing expectations for Davis, and not necessarily, you know, making sure the unbreakable man breaks again. And I say that, you know, obviously facetiously, because Davis has been one of the most injury prone players in the league, and Ham is managing that. He also controlled the Russell Westbrook situation, then worked with his new roster. Like, Ham's done a lot of things here in year one, and it's very impressive. And the Westbrook thing cannot be discredited, right? Westbrook obviously was dysfunctional. Westbrook did not work with LeBron James, even though LeBron had been very adamant that him and him and Westbrook would work well together. It didn't work. And Westbrook wanted to be the guy still. Russell Westbrook still believes that he's one of the best players in the NBA, even though he is not. Granted, he did help the Clippers, and I do think he's going to help an NBA team, but I think there has to be a specialized fit. You can't just say, oh, we're adding Russell Westbrook. You have to be a certain type of team to acquire Russell Westbrook. And the Los Angeles Lakers were not that, 
And Darvin Ham, though, did a good job in year one of coaching and in the first few months of his first job as an NBA head coach. That deserves a lot of credit. Then add to the fact that they get a basically a brand new roster in February. Rob Palenka clears the deck and says, all right, we're building a winner around this team. Here's our, what our strengths are. Here's what our weaknesses are. Here's what we can do to improve on those weaknesses. You add Mike, uh, Mikel Beasley, you add, or Malik Beasley, excuse me. Uh, you also have Jared Vanderbilt. You have Dennis Schroeder, uh, Rui, Rui Hachimura. Uh, so you have Mo Bamba, who doesn't really play much. But like you have an entire entirely new team. Uh, D'Angelo Russell, I didn't mention. Like You have an entirely new team. And this is a first-year coach. And he figures out how to put all these pieces together. The Lakers were really strong down the stretch. I, I noticed that, you know, looking at the lines, looking at what the Lakers were doing, they're covering a lot. They were, you know, a great underdog team. You know, down, people dis, weren't really caught up with how good this Lakers team was. Looking back on it, I wish I had laid a future because I felt like this Lakers team was really strong heading into the playoffs. I felt like the Lakers team, I don't know if I said it on the podcast, but I thought the Lakers were the better team for them versus Golden State. So I'm not surprised that the Lakers are here. But I, I, I do think Darvin Ham deserves a lot of credit. And I think as a Bucks fan, to bring it back to Milwaukee and not just have it be an LA suck fest, it's like you do wonder, like, what if this guy stayed in Milwaukee and was the Bucks head coach? And I think there is going to be that thought. And we're going to do some NBA final storylines with Mitch later this week. But I do think that's going to be a topic of conversation with Darvin Ham because he was the Bucks coach. They hired him from the Bucks bench. And if timing would have worked out, Ham might have been the Bucks coach. Now, I think in terms of bad timing, the Milwaukee Bucks are league leaders in it right now. I feel like the Bucks have just seemingly fallen themselves into bad timing over and over again. Now, I, I do think part of that is due to just being a good team. I think good teams, when they don't win, you can blame bad timing. You can blame, you know, unfortunate injuries, things like that. I do think that happens. Like, I, I mean, we have examples with the Green Bay Packers. And I think even with the Brewers, a little bit, right? Like that Atlanta Braves team was red hot that the Brewers ran into in 2021. People forget that team had 98 wins. Like I, I think that's lost in the annals because they lost in the first round, but they played a red hot Braves team. And who knows? Maybe that, that is an entirely different series for the Brewers had they faced another team, you know, in the NL playoffs. And maybe they would have lost the Braves regardless. Braves were really fucking good that year. But still, I, I just... It's worth, it's worth calling out. It's worth considering. So anyways, back to the Ham-Bucks relationship. Mike Boonholzer was not probably getting removed to yet last year. Like that's that's the part that you have to, you have to remember, right? You can't memory hold this and be like, well, I wish Darvin Ham would have stayed. Mike Boonholzer was not getting fired after last year. That Bucks team was pretty solid. That Bucks team would have probably been at least in the Eastern Conference Finals. I'm not convinced they would have beat the Heat team after what we saw this year, but they would have at least got to the Eastern Conference Finals with Chris, Chris Middleton. They were better than that Celtics team. And yeah, there, there was a real shot at them making the finals that year as well. And had they done that, A, Bud would still be here this year. Um, and on, on the same token, um, Mike Boonholzer would not have got fired just for losing in the second round. Uh, had the Bucks completely fall apart, had there been some dysfunction, yeah, Budenholzer would have been let go, but it would have taken a lot. 
It wasn't like the Frank Vogel situation. I think what the Frank Vogel situation was, was LeBron and Clutch pushing out Frank Vogel. Giannis does not do that. Giannis is not that type of player. So it's not going to be that sort of situation. So we have to keep that in mind when we remember about the Bucks regretting, you know, not necessarily having Darvin Ham and not and not necessarily elevating Darvin Ham. I will say this that if Bud were if Ham stayed on the roster and Bud's fired this year, I do not think that there would be this immediate like we have to just start complete completely fresh. It's an entirely different situation than Charles Lee. Darvin Ham's been doing this for a long time. Darvin Ham is really well respected. Darvin Ham is a former Buck. I think there is a lot that you can sell through. Yes, he's part of the Mike Boonholzer administration, but I think one of the things that I have pointed out in the past is I feel like Darvin Ham runs a different system than what we see with Bud. There are certain Bud tendencies that you'll notice if you're watching Laker games, but it's not the same. It, it really isn't. And I think part of that is due to pl- having LeBron, right? Like, I think that is. 100% part of this, that LeBron James dictates, you know, how they play an offense, how they play defense. And so Ham, you know, tweaks some of the Bud stuff to fit with LeBron. So that that does factor in. Like, it, I don't think it's just, you know, Darvin Ham here that is like completely saying, all right, yeah, we're not going to do exactly what Bud does, but he's obviously figured out how to win the playoffs. Taylor Jenkins, also a Bud assistant, has really struggled in that category. Taylor Jenkins nearly lost in the first round to a Minnesota team as a seven seed. They that kid that went I think that went to seven last year, and then Memphis was completely embarrassed and outclassed against Golden State in that next series despite having home court. And then Memphis this year lost in the first round to the Los Angeles Lakers. Taylor Jenkins to me is more like Mike Boonholzer than Darvin Ham is. Again, Darvin Ham gets a little bit of an assist with having LeBron James, but Darvin Ham is also a player. I mean. Bill Simmons, if you listen to his podcast, told a story on Monday about how Lonnie Walker was really struggling and Darvin Ham brought him over to the bench and sort of embraced him, you know, head to head and said like, hey, look, like we're going to need you. Like we believe in you. And I think there is something there that Darvin Ham's a really comforting presence on on the sidelines and has empowered some of these young guys. I think one of the most impressive things about, about Darvin is is that none of these guys, none of these young guys are afraid playing with LeBron. I think in the past, when watching LeBron throughout the years, you've seen teammates of his like just be scared necessarily and not necessarily want to shoot and be the guy and you know be that big dick in the cracker factory, the you know, the line we use all the time. Because it's like, oh, we have to adhere to LeBron. Like we LeBron is that guy. And and whatever Ham has said to be like, hey, look. You can take over a game. You can be that player. You can have that podium game. It's really special. And I don't know if Mike Budenholzer did a lot of that. I I think that's just a personality thing. I I don't necessarily think that's something he learned from Bud. And so I I look at this and I just am like, man, you you wonder if there's just going to be this tinge of regret that Darvin Ham isn't the Bucs coach. But again, it's a bad timing scenario. It's not necessarily realistic to look back on it, but it's still annoying because I do think they had a great coach under their fingertips and it was waiting there. And you could make the case like Charlie, he didn't look great in those two COVID games when Bud was out last year. And I I guess what I would say to that is that's an extremely small sample size. I mean, that's two games out of 82, right? 
It's the middle of January. It is the dog days of the NBA season. I'm not going to take anything that seriously it, during that time. So I, I'm going to throw that out personally uh, and not necessarily you know, consider that in terms of the memory hole because it's not, it's not relevant to that conversation. I look at the body work with the Lakers and I say, all right, yeah, this guy, this guy looks legit. This guy looks the part. And sure enough, Ham's doing it. And I'm proud of him. I mean, I am. Like, as a former Buck, as a guy who coached with the Bucks, like, that is a reason to root for the Lakers. You can say, yeah, you don't want to root for LeBron. I, I get it. Or Anthony Davis. But the Darvin Ham angle makes the Lakers a lot more likable, I think, for Bucks fans. And, you know, I think part of it, too, is just that the coaching search is a little bit off the rails, right? Like, every Tom, Dick, and Harry is getting an interview. So you just start to wonder, like, if Ham would have stayed, are we even having this conversation? Are we even talking to 10 or 11 guys? And also, I don't know, maybe Ham, maybe Ham knew it was time. And, and having a job like the Lakers to coach LeBron, even though it's challenging and LeBron has thrown many coaches under the bus, you still have, that. that's still an amazing opportunity. Los Angeles Lakers are one of the premier franchises in all of sports, not just the NBA. So having that opportunity to coach the Lakers is a big fucking deal. So I don't begrudge Ham for leaving. You have to take that job. If that job's offered you, you gotta take it. And it was a challenge and he accomplished, you know, conference finals in year one. Even if they lose in five to the Nuggets, I think they're gonna lose, I think they're gonna lose that series. Nuggets are, to me, the best team in the NBA right now. Um, still, I, that's a, a major accomplishment for him year one. So I do wonder, will the Bucks, you know, are they playing a long game with all these interviews and will they make a Hail Mary attempt at Ham? I kind of hope not at this point. I think desperation's a stinky cologne, as, as people like to say sometimes. Like, I, I know that Ham would be an awesome fit for what the Bucks are going forward, but he's coaching the Lakers. He's coaching LeBron. He still has at least, LeBron probably is going to be there for one or two more years. He has the whole contract thing and the whole Bronny angle. But I, I think LeBron's at least a Laker next year. If the Bucks got rid of Bud next year and LeBron was basically waiting on wherever Bronny was going, and let's just say LeBron ended up in Atlanta. Total example, right? That Bronny gets drafted in the first round by the Hawks and then LeBron goes and plays for the Hawks. And he's no longer a Laker. Then to, that would be the time where I'd say, all right, yeah, make a, case, make a case to bring him back. But that's a year away. Bucks don't have that year. They got to get a new coach now. And I think we will look back and wonder, what if it would have worked out with Darvin Ham? But unfortunately, the timing did not line up. Before we move on to the Milwaukee Brewers, uh, you know, in terms of the update, in terms of coaching search, I always hesitate sometimes when I do this podcast early in the morning. If a new coach comes out, I feel like I have to check Twitter just to make sure I don't miss anything. But nothing, it seems like, in the terms of the coaching front at this point. Uh, Sham Sarania reported that the Bucks are actively pursuing Monty Williams. I don't get it at all. Um, as we said, Monty Williams was outcoached by Bud. I did see an interesting point. I forget who it was. Uh, it's one of the Bucks Twitter guys who basically was like, 
Are we sure Monty Williams got outcoached by Bud? He had DeAndre Ayton, and that was his only big man against Giannis. And Giannis basically ate. Ayton not necessarily known for, you know, being a physical tough player. Uh, he's, you know, soft. They're probably looking to trade Ayton. Ayton had probably one of the worst playoffs if you if you terms of who, who looks the worst, you know, kind of the who's the jerk, if you will, of the NBA playoffs. Um, but I, I do I do wonder that a little bit. So I, I am willing to concede that. I also think like you guys have to you have to understand that I believe Giannis is is controlling some of this. I don't know how much, but I do wonder is did Giannis see something with Monty and wonder if Monty Williams would be a good fit for this team. There's other people who are like, well, John Horst is all about the culture and the nice guy stuff and they don't want to ruffle feathers and all this other bullshit. I do, that's the other part of it that I worry about is that are we just making sure that the vibes are staying high and not putting an asshole in the room? And is that part of that reason too because we don't want to necessarily offend Giannis? Monty Williams also has three years, $21 million left on his deal. That dude can kick back. That dude has $21 million that are just going to sit in his bank account. He doesn't exactly need to coach, which is a really interesting situation because you're in Phoenix, you're with your family. Monty lost his wife, uh, I think a few years ago, unfortunately. And so he he is, I don't believe, I, I don't know his relationship status, but he's a dad, right? So it's like, if he's still a single dad, which again, I have no idea about, like, he can just kind of hang out, live the life, you know, cook breakfast, cook dinner, you know, take care of his kids and, you know, sit on a bunch of money that is going to keep going into his bank account. And you do wonder, is that maybe a move for him? And I don't necessarily know all the details of his family life. So maybe, you know, it's something that he doesn't necessarily need to do because they're off in college. And he's like, well, I'm going to keep working until I until I don't want to. And I, I, I will have two incomes going at the same time and put myself in a really good position where I don't have to exactly be a lifer. Now, they also mentioned that they're interviewing Chris Quinn. I love that. Uh, Chris Quinn, it, it seems like he is sort of a mini Spolstra. Um, that was a quote from Udonis Haslam. It's like when Quinny is talking, which is his nickname, when Quinny is talking, it's basically hearing spell. It was a quote that someone pulled from Udonis Haslam. If Chris Quinn is that guy, um, yeah, you hire that. That that to me is a A-plus hire. And we just talked about Darvin Ham year one. And we talked about how Darvin Ham's in the conference finals. And I, I think year one sometimes is treacherous, right? It's like, it's the learning curve. But year one coaches have got to the finals. Year one coaches have won, you know, finals. It, it's a lot more challenging. It's a lot more difficult. Um, but I do think that a guy like Chris Quinn would be a welcomed approach. I do also wonder though, with Chris Quinn, my only like fear with Chris Quinn is will the Heat sort of know exactly what the Bucks are doing because it's basically their system. It's what they want to do. So how does Chris Quinn, Quinn differentiate himself when he's facing the Heat? And is that going to be too much? Like is that mentor versus the student sort of thing? Is that going to, you know, be an issue? And sometimes we've seen, you know, not necessarily in the NBA because Pop's had, you know, a great tree and it's done well. And same with Budenholzer, honestly, with Ham and Taylor Jenkins. And, you know, so there there have been a lot of examples of coaching trees doing well in the NBA. But in the NFL, we've seen coaching trees kind of go off the rails, right? And I would consider Spo a little closer to like a Belichick. 
and they have a culture, they have a system they do. And like, would that system, you know, outside of Miami fuck up? Like, I don't know. I, I think that's just a question you, you need to ask yourself about Chris Quinn. But I, I do love it. Like, I think if Chris Quinn ends up being the coach, I am all in on that idea. And then the last guy was Kenny Young from the Phoenix Suns, part of the Phoenix Suns organization. I do wonder, is Kenny Young, you know, being, or Kevin Young, excuse me, I think it's Kevin Young, uh, being part of like the intel around Monty Williams. Like, are they asking Kevin Young for some of the details around Monty because they want to hire Monty and maybe bring on Kevin Young? You know, Kevin Young is getting interviewed for the Toronto job. I think he's going to get interviewed for the Phoenix job. But are they asking Kevin Young for more Monty intel? And sort of it being like when you have a reference for a job, like that's your reference. And is Kevin Young the reference? But I did see uh, pointed out by uh, Shafty Bro, who I I follow on Twitter, Big Bucks Twitter guy, talk about how you know, the Bucks coaching search, it seems like we know everybody's getting interviewed. And why is that? And is that because they're trying to pump all of these guys' tires because the Bucks job is so illustrious, right? And it's not the Rockets. It's not the Pistons. Like, we have not heard about anybody interviewing for the Pistons job. I think there was a, a initial, like, here's who the Pistons are targeting. And then that's been it. Like, we're not like, oh, they're closing in on, on a coach or anything like that. So I find that a little bit interesting that, you know, the Bucks, every guy is basically getting mentioned. And so, you know, who ends up being the one that, that gets that job? And is it somebody, you know, is it somebody else? We haven't even heard Nick Nurse's name mentioned. And I did see something also, someone asked, someone also said, have we considered if Giannis doesn't want to play with Nick Nurse? So there's been so much flying around. I feel like the Bucks coaching search is the thing right now in terms of Wisconsin sports and it does. It doesn't really seem like the Bucks are getting any closer, uh, but you know, it's it's how it goes, and we'll see we'll see what happens, and we'll see if you know they they find somebody sooner rather than later. Um, you know, obviously, I, I think it's it's about it's about time. Like you got to start dialing it in a little bit, but we'll see if it's like another few weeks. Okay, then then that's what it is. I do wonder with the Ty Lue thing. They, there's been a lot of Ty Lue stuff if they are sort of seeing if Ty Lue is allowed out. Like Ballmer's like, all right, yeah, Ty Lue, you're, you're done, you're good. Ty, there's no way he wants to send Ty Lue to Phoenix. He wants to make sure Ty Lue goes to Milwaukee, gets out of the conference, and you know, isn't, you know the only time they'll have to worry about him is in the finals. But that we'll just have to see. Um, so yeah, very interesting stuff. Um, I'm sure there will be more stories, more stuff coming out. The lottery tonight, I wouldn't be surprised if more things come out here. Also with the lottery, um, Wembenyama, go west, my man. I do not want to see Wembenyama in the east. Don't want to see him for Detroit. I do not want to see him for uh, Charlotte. Uh, do not, and he, I think he actually might try to get himself out of Charlotte. Let me look at the lottery odds here. Uh, since I won't be doing the podcast tomorrow, uh, odds NBA. So let's see who, who has the best chance here in terms of the... In terms of the odds that I want to see avoid. Okay, Detroit is the favorite. So yeah, Detroit, get them out. Houston, San Antonio, totally fine. Charlotte, no. Portland, yes. Orlando would be awful. Uh, because I think Orlando right now is set up to win. Um, I also don't know what they would do. I actually think they might trade. Like, Orlando is so fascinating, right? Because if you have if you have Wembenyama, Paolo Boncaro, Franz Wagner. First of all, I think John Hammond comes himself. 
Like, I, I think that is the ultimate, like, Bukaki explosion for John Ham. Hammond, not him. John Hammond, because the guy loves length. And that would be ultimate length. That would be all-time length theme. But I do wonder, is like, can you can that work? Like, are you able to, I mean, I guess maybe for a couple of years, let one, when Minyama get his feet underneath him. And then you look at it and you say, all right, who's, who's the odd man out in this situation? I don't know. It would be very interesting. Indiana, no way. Washington, no thanks. Uh, Utah, Dallas, I mean, they have very, very small chance. But Utah and Dallas would be fine. Chicago would be a nightmare. Given Chicago, I mean, come on. You've had the first pick in the NBA, the NHL, and the NFL. I would also say if Chicago does get another number one pick, it just shows you how much of a loser city that place is. Um, but then you uh, uh, Oklahoma City, fine. New Toronto, nope. Uh, Tor New Orleans, okay. New Orleans would also be fascinating because do you trade Zion then? Uh, but New Orleans has the least amount of chance. So I think the one I, I will predict, I'll give you the prediction. I think it will be Portland. That's the one. I think it's going to be Portland. That I will, I will do that. That will be my call uh, for the draft lottery. Okay. Let's move on to the Milwaukee Brewers. Uh, I've danced around it long enough. Uh, three things we, three things to know, three things to learn about the Brewers' loss to the St. Louis Cardinals. This is something I used to do. Uh, I was thinking about this. I was on the bike, and I was like, what did I used to do in terms of, like, recapping Brewer games so that we could talk about it in more of the, you know, the sense of game-to-game -game versus, you know, the golden kegs. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's right. I would pick out like three things about the game, you know, takes that I had if I didn't have a larger topic, you know, and sometimes you have a larger topic where you just want to address it. Like Corbin Burns was awesome for the last two starts. You want to talk about how he's returning to form or something like that. Okay. So you understand how sausage is made. So this is not obviously a great way to start when the Brewers lose 18 to one tonight, but I, I think it's a, you know, it's a nice topic to, you know, roll into the summer. And so to kick it off, it really comes down to Freddie Peralta needs to learn how to pitch against the St. Louis Cardinals. Freddie Peralta has struggled in his career against St. Louis Cardinals. Freddie Peralta has to dial it in against that team. Like he has to really figure out how to pitch them. He gives up three runs early. He was he battled the rest of the night, um, but whatever he's doing against St. Louis, like he has to be doing something different. Early on in that game, he you know gets runners on, gives up a home run to Arenado. Like he has to be a little bit more tuned in with his control. I understand first innings are tough for him, but it, it does seem like, and I I'm not going to go through every Peralta start against St. Louis, but it seems like every Peralta St. Louis start it starts the same way. Cardinals get a couple runs early and the Brewers are in a hole. And Peralta, you know, put the Brewers at a deficit early on and they just really never were comfortable. And this has been the one issue with this Brewer team so far this year is when they get down, it seems like they stay down. It seems like they do not necessarily have it in them to come back. They press a little bit too hard and you saw that. And so I do think with Peralta, he has to figure out a different approach. He's also been pretty tough on the road. Like he had a bad start against the Padres. You know, it was a bad start against the Cardinals. I, I'm not ready to panic on that front because he's been good on the road in the past. I, I just wonder if this is a blip on the radar. He's going to get a chance against the Tampa Bay Rays this weekend, which is a similar team in terms of the Cardinals, in terms of aggressive, in terms of ones that will beat you early in this game. 
Peralta has to figure out that first inning stuff. Like I, I it's we're too far along with Fred to to let it go, right? He was a young pitcher, and you'd be like, all right, yeah, this it's who he is. But you can't just keep putting your team at a deficit. And he he's it's not every game, but it does seem like it does happen against good teams where he gives up some early runs. And he's had some issues getting guys out with two outs. That's been a big bugaboo for him really all year. So I, I think if we were to like golden keg Freddie for the year, it's like a three and a half keg because there have been some good moments, but there've been some of these moments too. And it's just there, there needs to be a little more consistency with Peralta before we're taking him seriously as a, you know, number two option or number three option for this team. Right now he's a three and he, Games like this is why he's a three. And he's not a number two starter on this team, even with, you know, obviously the injury. And he currently is a two by, you know, the how it goes with Corbin Burns. And I would say, honestly, and he's pitching tonight, like besides that that Dodgers game, Wade Miley has been more reliable than Freddie Peralta. So I don't know. Uh, we'll, we'll have to see. But yeah, Freddie Peralta needs to be a little bit better about the card against the Cardinals. Number two, I feel like the umpire changed the whole vibe of this game. Uh, if you guys did not watch this game, it's 4 0. Uh, Freddie Peralta gets pulled from the game in the fifth for Bryce, or it might be the sixth, for Bryce Wilson. Uh, Bryce Wilson has kind of come back to earth. He's kind of turned into Bryce Wilson again. It was a sixth inning, sorry. And the umpire is in the way on a ball that was some thought were going up the middle. Now, it could have went up the middle. And, but it didn't. It ricocheted. The Brewers get a double play. They call umpire interference. The Cardinals get a base. First of all, I kind of hate that rule. Like, I feel like if it hits an umpire, shouldn't it just be a foul ball? Like, shouldn't it just be a strike? A ball in play or you just reset? And you're like, all right, it hit the ump. Reset everything. You know, back to square one. Whatever the count is. I think it might have been 1-1 one, one or 1-2. One, whatever it may be. And it just resets itself. Why do the Cardinals get a base because it hits the umpire. Now, I think some of it's umpire discretion. So umpire believed that that ball would have been a base hit. Now, it, that could be true. But still, I think it's screwed with Bryce Wilson. I also think it was bad on Chris Hook. They didn't go out immediately and talk to him and be like, hey, it's fine. Don't worry about it. Yeah, you have a base loaded for Goldschmidt. Just get him out. Focus on one batter. If you give up a fly ball and it's a run in, that's fine. Five nothing. We're okay. We're still in this game. But it all fell apart for Bryce Wilson, and he gives up four runs. Uh, two of them were charged with Peralta. Uh, but yeah, it was it, it changed that entire game, and it it let the game get out of hand as the Cardinals broke it open, and it was eight nothing then at, at the you know in the sixth inning. And you just can't necessarily leave the door open for this team. If you leave the door open for the Cardinals, they're going to take advantage of it. And I mentioned this. I think last week when we were talking about the Dodgers about this sort of stretch of baseball for the Brewers, they have to play mistake-free. You're playing against really good baseball teams just in terms of their smarts. Like, I mean, I know the Cardinals have been struggling. They're hot right now. But you, you're playing against a smart team in the Cardinals. You play against a smart team against the Dodgers. Playing a smart team net this weekend against Tampa Bay. Another smart team in Houston. San Francisco, even though they're not playing well, they're still a pretty smart baseball team. So I, I don't know. You have a lot of good teams that you're facing off against in these next few weeks. And the Brewers just have to be a little bit more tuned in, dialed in with their stuff. Uh, so yeah, that, that just can't happen. Last part, last thing, uh, Gus Varland, not a big leaguer. Tough night for him, but uh, he's starting to wonder, 
if Gus Varling can do this thing. I mean, he's in mop-up duty and he's struggled and that's really concerning. And I feel like you, at some point, you need to think about what you do there. Because the rule, I guess, goes, if you have to send Gus Varland down or you want to release Gus Varland, the Dodgers have the rights to keep Gus Varland and put Gus Varland back in their system. And I think because it's the Dodgers, they don't necessarily want to do it. I wonder if Gus Varland like, was an Orioles prospect, right? And you're like, okay, we give him back to the Orioles. You know, there's no chance that this comes back to bite us two or three years down the road when Gus Varland is like a dominant bullpen guy. I do think the stuff is there, right? But when you can't necessarily handle mop-up duty, that's a little bit red flaggy um, for for Gus Varlin. Now, I, I do wonder, it is the it is the line drive in the face screwing him up a little bit? Um, someone pointed out that, you know, he's been bad, really. He was bad in his AAA starts. He's been kind of bad in his, his now big league starts. But I, I think that could be a reason why. Like, I don't think, I think we need to at least consider it. We can't be callous about it. I'm not trying to defend Gus Marlin giving up nine runs either. But I, I do wonder, like, is that, does that play into it? Is that a factor in Gus Marlin struggling? Is just that he really, you know, is fucked up by it. And if he is, he needs to tell somebody. And he needs to, you know, go see a sports psychologist and, you know, take time off for to get him mentally right. Like that is something that has happened. You know, I wouldn't necessarily even call it, maybe it's anxiety, it's a different form of anxiety, but it's like the fear of getting hit with the baseball again. And maybe you're, you know, trying to trying to avoid that in some way, some capacity. But yeah, the Brewers have some work to do there with Varlin. So we'll see what happens tonight. Uh, obviously, tonight's a, a trouble, troublesome game with playing Jordan Montgomery. Jordan Montgomery has owned the Brewers. The Brewers have been bad against lefties. They did sign Darren Ruff, who's been a very good uh, guy against left-handed pitchers. So we'll see what Darren Ruff can do tonight. I would imagine he's in your lineup. Uh, we'll see what the lineup looks like tonight. I, I would imagine it might still be different uh, from the other lefty lineups. Or Miller has been playing well. He will be there. Um, and so maybe... Maybe they can get something on Miller and try to grind one out. And hopefully the Wade Miley regression train doesn't continue to run down the station. And it was just a one-game blip against the Dodgers. Moving on to the NFL putting a wildcard game on Peacock. So this has drawn a lot of ire uh, from fans that Peacock is now having a playoff game. NBC decided to take one of their playoff inventories and put it on Peacock. Um, NBC is going to have two games that day. Um, NBC will have the early game and then it will lead in to Peacock. Now, for those curious, uh, my guy Josh asked about this and I, I looked it up and it's it's facts that the Packers, if they were to be this team and they were in this game, that it would still be on TMJ. So you do that going for you saves the bars, it saves, every, it saves, you know, having a conversation with your parents about finding Peacock. If you're in the Milwaukee DMA, you're in the Green Bay DMA, I think the Madison DMA also gets that, gets that right to have the game, you know, over regular TV. It's the same with the Amazon game, same concept, right? So the question is, is like, for everything else, why are they doing this? Why are they adding more channels? Like, why are they making people sign up for Peacock. 
Well, my guess is, is because NBC is really trying to build Peacock as a place for sports. Think about all the stuff that they have going on right now in terms of sports and that they will have going on in 2024. They will have the Olympics. They will have multiple Big Ten basketball games, Big Ten football games on Peacock. They are going to have baseball running throughout Peacock. They want to be a sports hub. They are establishing themselves as the sports hub right now for the streamers. Yes, Amazon Prime has Thursday Night Football, but that's it. Amazon hasn't really acquired anything else. Netflix has not gotten into the live sports world. And Netflix had sort of a disaster when they were doing Love is Blind Live. It was an absolute mess. And I realize it's like, well, Love is Blind versus sports, but like Love is Blind's pretty easy. Like that's turnkey shit to do live. Doing sports is a whole other ballgame. So Peacock is really trying to establish themselves. And my guess is that the NFL will look for a notable playoff matchup. Last year's Saturday night game was the Chargers and the Jaguars. And wasn't really that big. And I mean, you look at those market sizes and everything else, it wasn't that big of a game. You know, obviously they saved the Cowboys. Or no, it was, yeah, the Cowboys and the Buccaneers was Monday night. Uh, I'm trying to think the other games, the other playoff matchups. But I do think they'll look for something a little bit bigger. And it would not surprise me if a team like the Green Bay Packers, if they were in the playoffs, would be considered for it. Because I do think Big Ten NFL teams are going to be targeted for this game. Because the Big Ten and NBC are ending into a relationship, as well as the Big Ten and the C- and CBS. But I, I do think the NBC partnership might be a little bit bigger for the Big Ten, just considering the Peacock relationship of it all. And so they want to build that subscriber base and they want to make sure this subscriber base sticks. They don't want this subscriber base to be one and done, even though they probably will. And NBC paid a lot of money for this. So you, you imagine that the NFL is going to give them that opportunity. I look at teams like the Packers and say, all right, yeah, that's going to be part of it. I think you're going to also have the Vikings. I think the Bears, I mean, these are if the teams get to the playoffs, right? So Vikings, Lions, Bears, Steelers, Colts, Browns, Bengals, uh, you know, for Ohio State, uh, the Ravens for Maryland, Jets, Giants, Chargers, Rams. I think more it's the upper Midwest, right? It's, you know, those Browns, Bengals, Packers, Bears even. Like, I I think those are the ones you really, really want if you can. And I, I think this is sort of what NBC is hoping for. And they're trying to get more and more people to be on board with Peacock and understand what Peacock is. I don't have Peacock. I I kind of keep my streamers, like right now we have too many, right now, honestly. And I, I would like Paramount Plus. I think they have enough like good TV and I don't, I don't have it. And it's mostly because I'm like, I'm not paying for another streaming service. Peacock, I was gonna pay for when the Brewers played there later this year. But it seems like it's like, oh yeah, you're gonna have to probably get Peacock if you wanna watch you know, all the sports. And that's how business is going to be run. I saw someone say, well, it's going to be a pay for play model. I saw Todd Furman even, you know, say that there is going to be a pay-per-view Super Bowl at some point. I absolutely do not think that's going to happen. I think that is Vegas brain. Todd Furman 
doesn't care necessarily about fan interest. He cares about gambling interest, right? Uh, Todd Furman's fine, but like, let's be clear here. There will never be a pay-per-view Super Bowl. That will never happen. There is way too much money. There's way too much. You need to make the Super Bowl as easy to watch as humanly possible because the amount of ad revenue that's going in there, I, I do not think that you can do a pay-per-view Super Bowl. I, I really don't. I, I really, truly do not believe that advertisers and other people will fall, would, would fall for it. I think at some point, you're going to hit a saturation point. I, I worried about this with the NFL. We talked about it with Mitch last week, where I was like, I think the NFL is doing too much. I think the NFL is getting to that point where the product wasn't that great last year. I think the NFL is trying to improve on that by saying like, all right, CBS, Fox, you have the flexibility. Make sure you have the best games on at 325. Um, also, you don't have to have every team on primetime, so that hopefully will make things better. I saw, uh, I, think it was, I don't know if it was Nance or Romo said, they think they could be doing nine Chiefs games this year, which is crazy um, in terms of that amount, right? It, but that shows you like the, the league is really trying to make sure the best teams are featured every week. And I think it's going to get tiresome. I, I don't know, I don't know about you guys, but like, I don't need to watch the same team over and over again besides my own team, the Green Bay Packers, right? Oh, another Chiefs game's on. whoop de fucking do I don't know. I don't really, like, that to me doesn't do much. But it does seem like we're, the restrictor pates off a little bit with the NFL. And and I, I just wonder, like, is it going to hit that point? And, you're like, and I think the argument against it is like, well, look at this. Like, they just had their best rated Super Bowl. Like, what do you mean? But you also have to remember, like, the Eagles and Chiefs are massive, massive franchises, public teams, public cities. Like, they, are, they bring in the noise. If it's the Jaguars and the Lions next year in the Super Bowl, you will not have the same ratings. Those ratings will be, you know, I don't know. It, it, will, not, it will not match it. I'm not saying it's going to be down 50%, but it's going to be down. And, you know, and I do wonder, will people at some point run out of like the willingness to care. Like, oh, it's just too much to keep together. Like, oh, I need Amazon. Oh, I need Peacock. Oh, I need I need just, you know, YouTube TV to do the Sunday ticket. I think right now the best business you could have is talking to bars about upgrading their TVs and working as a TV distributor because I think you could make a ton of money. Because a lot of these bars right now have direct TV or just cable attached to them. They need to get those Roku TVs. Now, I, I think if I remember correctly, Amazon did a deal with direct TV to get their games on direct TV. I would imagine YouTube might be trying to do something similar, but I don't know, maybe not. And if they're not, like, how do you, how does that all work? And, and that's the challenge that I, I think is going to be there. I don't think the Sunday ticket thing is going to be as seamless as we think it's going to be. They're charging a ton. They're asking for a lot of fucking money just for Sunday ticket, which is interesting in its own right. So I, I'll be I'll be very curious, man. I, I just I, I'm not. I could easily be wrong here. Um, I'm just throwing out a little bit of a warning flare. I do think the Packers would be part of it, so be forewarned. But I, I think it's worth just food for thought that maybe. Maybe it's not the best thing for the NFL. All right, 
that does it for today's show. Sorry again for a morning pod. Um, I know you guys, there's morning commuters who like this podcast in the morning. I apologize. Um, we'll try to be better. Uh, just, you know, sometimes it's tough to get, get down here at night and go tape a podcast. I'll be, I'll be fully transparent with you. Uh, and it's a hard, it's more, it's more difficult when there's not a ton going on in terms of Wisconsin sports. So I apologize. Um, we'll try to be better about that and we'll try to work our schedule too. So I, you do have it for the morning or late nights. Uh, but I appreciate you guys riding with us. No show tomorrow. Back on Thursday with Mitch, I think. Uh, if not Mitch, definitely myself on Thursday. And then we will uh, have one for Friday. All right. Take care of yourself. Have a good one. See you. Bye.